HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. This is Mitchell Davis, host of Taste Matters. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Edition of Art Senses Seizures. And I'm expecting a lot more seizures than art this week with our very special guest, my good friend. Oh man, really got really getting into the crypt, Jack. That's right, Jack Inslee, producer of the stars, is also back in the booth, but we're here with writer and comedian Kevin Mayer, star of the long-running series Kevin Geeks Out. I never, I never think of myself as the star of the show. I write it and produce it and host it. And your and your name is in the title. And my name of it. is megalomaniacally in the title. But uh, they're there for the theme. People are there for the theme, not me. Yeah. I also like that it sounds like we're coming at you live from a haunted house. We're here in Long Branch, New Jersey, from the ghost of the haunted mansion. Where everybody died. Well, the, the haunted houses have a tendency to burn down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jack's laying it on heavy today. I can dig it. Okay. Uh, this week we've got coming up, Kevin Geek has geeked out about many, many things. Together we have geeked out about professional wrestling, um, but you have geeked out about sharks. You've geeked out about the apocalypse, Star Wars. Uh, you've geeked out about sharks, all things we were going to talk about. You've geeked out about female robots mm-hmm. and we're going we're going to get there we're going to talk about the morality I, I wanna, I wanna of play catch up we're going to i want to talk about the morality of having sex with robots because Definitely. because we go there <laughs> but uh this week um for halloween uh at the nighthawk cinema which is in uh, williamsburg brooklyn uh this thursday uh the 29th mm-hmm. uh at 9:30 you're going to be geeking out about Stephen King. Stephen King, who I believe is the Democratic. Uh, <laughs> I even say I was confusing with Bernie Sanders this morning. That's what kind of morning oh, I've, I've wow. been having. It's like uh, just, Maine just, and Vermont. Yeah, just some fucking New England nut bucket. Yeah. Um, 
Although, uh, actually, Stephen King probably would make a good candidate for president. Oh, he's he's involved in his local politics, from what I understand. You know, yeah. he's a left-leaning guy. He, uh, it's it's one of those things. One of the things I personally like about Stephen King that I think people have made fun of is uh, he still has this blue-collar sensibility. He's been a millionaire for decades upon decades, but he still sees himself coming from this working-class background, and he he embraces that. Well, I, I think word for him working uh, writing is a job, which I it is. I love that that's the tact he takes. And boy, there was so much outrage when he was handed that National Book Award. That lifelong achievement thing that's you know to the degree of um was it uh, Truman Capote said about Jack Kerouac that's not writing that's, that's typing. typing yeah it's because he's a genre writer and doesn't get the respect and he'll but he'll be the first one to say it he says my work is the literary equivalent of a Big Mac and a Coke <laughs> but you know but I think he sells himself short I think he sells himself short because if he does take him seriously then the literati are going to make fun of him and ridicule him but he actually has a lot going on and that's that's why it's kind of perfect for a Kevin, Kevin Geeks Out show where we can talk seriously about wrestling or about Bigfoot well there's a, there's a great quote in, in Stephen King's book about writing which is the one book that other you know quote unquote writers and really I put that in quote because I know a lot of people uh, here in, um, <laughs> in Brooklyn <laughs> who really consider themselves writers you know with, 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 a, with, a, with a big W um, and he says well if you've written something you sold it and they gave you a check and you cashed the check and you used it to pay the power company then I consider you a writer of some talent yep. and I, I, you know, I think that's right because there are a lot of people running around um, who haven't done that and yet will poo-poo Stephen King um, because he is a horror writer. He's a horror writer. He's a paid writer. What I'd like to see, actually, is I would like to see a big bucket of pig's blood come down on Hillary Clinton during the next debate. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of why I had the Bernie Sanders thing in my head. <laughs> I, think, I think that could only help her be that much more sympathetic. <laughs> you would th- think well, it's so. like anything in politics. It's not, it's not whether or not you get a bucket of pig's blood dumped on you. It's how you respond. It's how you deal with it. <laughs> do you burn down the National Democratic Convention, or do you... Accept it gracefully. You know. <laughs> who do you want having that bucket of pig's blood dumped on them at 3 a.m.? Who, who do I personally? Well, that's what I'm just saying. Oh, that's who you have to vote that, for. That could be yeah. this year's ad. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk, let's talk about some of Stephen King's work. I mean, Carrie was his first book. That's and, his first published and, book. And, and um, I think the story goes, or legend has it, you can tell me if it's apocryphal or not, that he um, was writing it. He didn't know what the hell else he was going to do with himself. And he wrote this horror story, didn't like it, threw it in the trash. And his wife said, no, dumbass, you got to finish it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, from what I understand, yeah, his wife salvaged it from the garbage. I think I want to say he was working as either a high school teacher or a substitute high school teacher, and he was just looking at the cruelty of young girls, and that's kind of what inspired it. That she's the the outsider, the outcast. And the more you know, the more I look at Stephen King, the more you find these tropes of like the the outsider. He writes about writers. He writes about people with psychic powers, kids with psychic powers. Um, so yeah, we'll look at some of the themes and well, Carrie's where it all began. Carrie's, for that Car- was the big Carrie's one. great. We talk about Brian De Palma too, who I cannot fucking stand. Talk about really? hacks of hacks. You want to? We can geek out about Brian De Palma because that was the last good it's movie. It's one of the most made. polarizing. It's really De Palma is one of the most polarizing filmmakers I can think of. Well, when you suck, that's what happens. No, I. I, I have to champion uh, Phantom of the Paradise. I can't, I can't stand here and let you bad mouth Mr. Palmer, even though you, it's pre-Carrie. Somehow I knew you would. I think what Carrie has got going for is two of the greatest um, female leads you know, in, in, his, in history. I mean, Piper Laurie, um, obviously Sissy Spacek. I mean, the combination of the chemistry between them is unbelievable. And the, and the cruelty of the young you know, John Travolta and, and his mates is very believable. It's very relatable. I mean, even as, as things are going flying around the house, what? there's a very real quality to carry. I just heard, though, that um, part of the research I, I from my friend Tenebris Kate, who we, she was in one of the wrestling shows we did, uh, she said that at the time, Piper Laurie and John Travolta thought they were doing a parody of teen horror movies. <laughs> so half the cast thought 
it was it was this big over the top comedy they were doing, and some thought they were doing a straight horror. And if you look at the film that way, that totally makes sense. Such is the alacrity and deafness of that hack to Palma that even the people working for him didn't know what the fuck he was trying to do. Um, you're not going to get a lot of nice words about Brian. All right, Palma. we can move on. From I feel Brian I feel Palma. like he is. You know, I mean, there's a lot been talked about lately, cultural appropriation. But that guy just, but that's just out and out theft. I mean, you know, good ones steal and great. What do they say? Good ones borrow and great ones steal. The mm-hmm. E. Cummings line about artists, but that's just fucking larceny. I mean, he steals some Hitchcock, but not even the good Hitchcock. You know, he's, he's just like ah, the guy, the guy makes me so angry. Sorry. Antonioni. Yeah, I'm going to call it like, you know, blow up and not blow out or blow you or whatever that movie was called. It's like, it's the same fucking movie, except not as good. Uh. But that's that's the Palma. So uh, Stephen King, though, what I think what we were talking about on the way over here was there were so many bad, quote unquote, Stephen King movies, movies well, that have the Stephen King brand on them yeah, at the that time, are just like really bad movies. I think at the time when I was a kid looking at a lot of these movies, um, Growing up in New Jersey, I'd see these things on VHS when they first came out. It was like a new Stephen King. And at the time, we didn't – that wasn't – not everybody talked about their personal brand. Branding wasn't a common thing that was thrown around. But I think it was one of my first experiences of, of, of getting into somebody who simultaneously had a brand that was known for something. But then, you know, he'd write a four-page short story called The Lawnmower Man. <laughs> and they'd make some horrible movie out of it. And they'd put his name on it. And sometimes they'd put his name over the credits. It's Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. So the bad movies uh, and the direct videos and, and the sequels of the sequels of the sequels of the Children of the Corn movies, uh, they really diluted what he was known for. Going into the show, I go back and I revisit the, the early stuff with John Carpenter's Christine or The Shining. And, you know, in the beginning, Cronenberg, all these big, heavy directors were, were really digging into his stuff. And um, I forgot how many good movies there are. I thought I thought the show was going to be about the good bad ones and the bad bad ones, and you could make fun of the bad bad ones. But it's really more about appreciating just uh, how many different kinds of Stephen King movies have been put out there. Well, he's certainly prolific. He's been keeping the lights on for a long time. Yeah, right, writing writing these books. Because um, he has to keep the lights on to keep writing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's basically the old mm. cocaine PSA, which mm. is uh, pretty appropriate. I sort of picture him in my own way as uh, the James Con character in Misery. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I know that. <laughs> Um, I know he was in a bad car accident, Stephen King, right, as well? Well, trucks is a big theme in his work, that there's so many evil trucks. uh, I mean, just outside of Maximum Overdrive, there's a a big truck crash that shows up in the movie of The Shining. Uh, lots of truck accidents happen throughout his works, and apparently the night TNT's Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs was, was showing Maximum Overdrive is the night he was hit by the truck, by the drunk driver. Man, um... So yeah, that's a that's a theme. Trucks, trucks theme. are trucks are a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess we can go back to um, my my favorite quote unquote Stephen King movie would be The Shining. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way after Carrie, um, which got a lot of controversy at the time as well. I mean, it's it's very big, it's very epic, and that's um, another one. I mean, where it's it's all about the collaboration and the interpretation of the art. That it's it's uh, thank you for that. It's uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Right. I mean, Kubrick was no friend of the writer. It's uh, the story. You, you read Jim Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Thompson did the screenplay of The Killing. And and the way they put the credits when Jim Thompson sat down and went to the premiere of The Killing and said, The Killing, screenplay by Stanley Kubrick, story by the guy who wrote the book, dialogue by Jim Thompson. But, but Kubrick feels entitled to give himself the screenplay credit because he wrote the parentheticals. We, we should geek out about Stanley Kubrick someday, too. Oh, my we? God, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, as someone, um, another you know phenomenon we've talked to often on the show is, how many times have you read the Mad Magazine parody of a movie before, before. actually seeing the movie? Yeah, then you had all the spoilers, you know, I was 
you know, because yeah. you know, especially R-rated movies. When I was a kid, I definitely saw The Exorcist. You know, by Mark Trucker before I saw The Exorcist. <laughs> Which is strange to me that it, it 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 only occurred to me later as an adult. Why was Mad always doing things that were R-rated, R-rated that kids wouldn't know? And it was to their credit that they were doing stuff they wanted to do, and they were telling jokes that they found funny, which is why it wasn't condescending and talking down to kids. So I think Stanley Kubrick gag is um, in the Mad Magazine satire was called 201 Minutes of Space Idiocy, <laughs> but a friend of mine recently saw it for the first time. Right? Like, like he saw 2001, 2001 or The Shining. 2001 for the first time, and said, what a boring, pretentious piece of shit. It doesn't even make any sense. And my only, I, it was hard to argue. <laughs> my only real answer was, yes, but you're missing the point. <laughs> um, the Shining, when it came out, I was... Uh, I was an inmate at the NYU Film School for about half a second when yeah. it came out, and all the smart asses there were saying, well, this is just a movie about a steady cam. Because hmm. that was the new technology at the time. The steady cam hadn't gained popularity yet, and it was all about those tracking shots and the big wheel, and that's why Kubrick decided to do this movie in a big hotel oh. where he could shoot the kid on a big wheel riding around. I just, in researching this show, um, I watched, you know, and I'm not even necessarily going to use it anywhere, but I watched the three-part uh, 90s miniseries of The Shining with <laughs> Rebecca DeMorme and Steven Weber, directed by Mick Garris, and uh, it was rough. It was rough. It, it was, and it's like, I get that, yeah, uh, Kubrick really took it and made it his own, and, and Stephen King felt like that wasn't the story he wanted, that wasn't, he, he really really uh, disliked it and I guess the Kubrick estate in order to allow him to remake The Shining they said if you if you sign a document that you will never on record badmouth Stanley Kubrick's The Shining will give you the rights to remake it I, I wonder what he thinks about his other has he been outspoken to Stephen King about all these other productions um, there's all there's. I mean, he's not so exactly she, I, I mean, he's not really showing up to do the Q&A after the latest screening of Cujo at Nighthawk yeah or, or I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know I don't know that's something I would I would have to. Do well, what are you guys going to address? What are you guys going to address this Thursday night at the? Uh, well, Carrie, we you, you mentioned Carrie that gets talked about. Uh, Christine is dealt with. I Carrie, mean, by the way, we could we got about split screens too. I think that could be. Oh my whole. gosh, I love this. I, I, we, could, we could do a whole show on split screens. Yeah. Um, okay, Christine. I'm going to talk about it. Uh, childhood trauma in it and memory in it and water imagery in it. There's tons of water in it, which gets into, you know, I've geeked out about sharks and uh, zombies in particular. I really love the aqua zombies, the aqua Nazi zombies that come up from, you know, shock. Well, they, every genre has its own subgenre, sub subgenre, and I enjoy uh, shock waves. There you go. Shock waves. No, I'm sorry, that was actually the Once aqua- they were almost human. I was trying to get aqua Nazi zombies. That's I know it, it sounds like shockwaves, but it was really aqua. Oh, I get it. Not, not, I don't know. It's uh, it's hard to make the theremin sound exactly like a swastika, but I tried. <laughs> but uh, it's it's uh, something I'm taken with of of the idea of the the water being the unconscious, and you know the creature of the black lagoon kind of coming up, the monster that lurks inside the unconscious. A, a, a humanoid waters. from the deep. A perhaps? humanoid from the deep, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff, and it. It has a lot of water imagery, so I'm, I'm going to kind of tackle that head on. Well, I loved Humanoids from the Deep. We were talking about this before, and we are talking about... Um, I, I've yet to see Sharknado. You geek out about sharks, and I'm a huge Jaws fan. We um, talked that you know, possibly Steven Spielberg's last good movie. Um, Jaws, I'd say it's his Jaws. last great movie, and so much of that has to do with the setbacks of the movie and how the, the editor and the actors and the screenwriters all kind of stepped up and got involved so that it was it was less auteur than he gets credit for. It was It was such a collaboration. 
Um, and I think I think if all of his films were done that way, where the editor is weighing in on here's the shot you're going to need, here's what I need to piece together this movement, and then the the actors ad lib the scenes and the screenwriter finesses it with them, and <laughs> the less the director's involved, the better a movie becomes. Um, but with Jaws, I think what's what's fascinating with Sharknado and Jaws, it's very similar to the Stephen King stuff, which is when people adapt Stephen King movies, it's kind of like when somebody rips off Jaws, they have the shark and they think that's enough. But it's like the shark is one of the least interesting things about Jaws. The relationship between Brody and the town, being from New York, showing up, he's never going to be an islander. The tension of him, him and his wife or, or with Quint and the mayor and the guy who runs the newspaper. Let me ask you this. The last time I was, I was, on, a, I was on a podcast talking about Jaws, I said that Quint is an anti-Semite because he <laughs> makes the thing about how Hooper's hands are soft from counting money all his life. And, and the guys on the show is like, no, no, he's not. Yeah. I think what do just, you think? Oh man, he he just he saw Richard Dreyfuss and he just said, "Big, <laughs> big fucking you know, you know, academic pussy." You know, yeah. here's a guy who does not work on the docks. That's mm-hmm. all. Here's a guy who spends his time on a classroom. Not quite the same as like Henry Hill when Karen says, "What do you do? I'm in construction, but your hands are so soft." <laughs> oh, I'm a union delegate. You know, right? <laughs> um, but, wow. but but I think when people when people do Jaws knockoffs, it's similar to when a hack filmmaker takes a Stephen King short story or novel and makes a movie. It's like, oh, we're going to put in all the monsters, all the good stuff. And it's like King kind of comes in the tradition of R- Richard Matheson, these guys mm-hmm. who take fantastical ideas, but they ground it with real human reactions of like, if this incredible, bizarre thing were to happen, let's have a very human reaction to it. The motivating factor in Jaws is money. I mean, that's, yeah. why, that's why they got to keep the beaches open. Mm-hmm. But we have a shark. You've got a shark problem. But we've got to keep the beaches open, like in Humanoids in the Deep, which we talked they about. It's a great job because it's the Salmon Festival that weekend. <laughs> well, you don't seem to understand. There are these humanoids in the deep. But, it's but, it, but it's the Salmon Festival. And if we don't have a Salmon there's Festival. There's always a festival. In Grizzly, there's the big backpacking picnic festival. Uh, uh, the car. The car. There's a... Uh, a car! Uh, <laughs> in, in the car, because we were talking about this before, you've got, you've got the, the knockoff of Jaws is the... Evil car. <laughs> so instead of closing the beaches, it's a the, we're not going to cancel the parade. So if you ever <laughs> if you ever on the fence, like uh, Kingdom of the Spiders is a good example. We're not going to cancel the town circus. <laughs> it's there has to be something that the monster can destroy and ruin and, and eat and, people at. And the second the mayor says that, you, you know it's going south. It's hard. officially a Jaws <laughs> knockoff once once the mayor refuses to close the thing. And what's funny is I went to a Jaws Fest in Martha's Vineyard a couple of years ago, and oh, I was thinking nice. how. How incredible would it be if if uh, if there was a shark attack right before Jaws Fest and they said we're not canceling Jaws Fest? <laughs> no, Jaws Fest must go on for the um, the presidents here. Obama's on vacation here and he demands <laughs> Jaws Fest. Uh, yeah, so y- yeah, it was the last Jaws. Okay, Fest we're we're gonna take a quick break. I want to tell everybody that um, this Thursday, the 29th, go see Kevin at the Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg to geek out about Stephen King. And if you survive that. We're doing a special Cramps tribute uh, at the Bowery Electric. It's starting at 11 o'clock, 11.30. Excellent. And um, it's featuring our friend John Spencer. We're going to hear his werewolf song right now. I'll take a quick break. You're listening to Arts and Seizures.
Crazy, we're back here in Arts and Seizures with the great Kevin Mayer, star host, Geralissimo, um, of Kevin uh, Geeks Out. Kevin's going to be geeking out about Stephen King this Thursday at the Nighthawk Cinema, and uh, we just heard our friends at the John Spencer Blues Explosion geeking out about werewolves. That's a late show, so if you survive uh, Kevin's uh, stories about Stephen King, come see us at the Bowery Electric. Uh, we got a great cast of superstars. We're going to be doing all... Uh, <laughs> Cramp songs for Halloween. Excellent. One one week I saw on Halloween. One week I saw Black Sabbath on Friday and the Cramps on on Saturday. It was like the best. What Had I dream. been able to fit the Misfits in there, it would have been like the, the holy. Tri- when tri- when tri- you thing. said you were going to play the song, she said I thought it was going to be the Hazel Adkins version because he's another great yeah, Halloween. A, if, if, if you're putting together scary a, sort of putting guy. together a Halloween mixtape, we got a, a lot of great examples right there. So I wanted to talk about Star Wars a little bit because I know you get down about Star Wars. There's a new Star Wars movie coming out. Apparently, if anything. Things uh, come close to breaking the in- internet. It's been this uh, the new Star Wars trailer and people buying tickets in advance and the the, the buzz on this new Star Wars movie is, is kind of unbelievable. So is this the seventh Star Wars movie or the first one? It, I'm very it's very confused. Episode seven, so it comes after Return of the Jedi. So, so it comes, it's, it's episode seven. So it comes after. Many, so, so it comes after the second one, and therefore is the seventh. Did I do that right? Return of the Jedi was the th- was the third oh, theatrically right. released, but it was episode six. So it's the fourth, but that makes it the seventh. It's the seventh with the other two in the middle, and I think it's thirty years or so between. I, I think it's supposed to be thirty years between episode six and seven. Um, so maybe there will be some cartoons and TV movies and Cartoon Network specials that fill in those gaps, yeah, yeah, inevitably. <laughs> you think there will be some merchandise surrounding this? Uh... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think with Disney, you're going to see more toys. More toys than if you combined everything that came previously. You're going to see even more toys with Episode Seven and Star Wars and, and Disney. So that's, that's inevitable. So what and here's what I wonder, though. At what point when somebody reads the screenplay, some, some corporate higher-up numbers cruncher reads a script, and it says, oh, and, and you know, the characters, the heroes go off, and then they're being chased by a bounty hunter. At one point, somebody says, no, they're being chased by five bounty hunters. Because <laughs> then you get five action figures and five plush toys and five of everything else. I saw the, I have two boys, and um, I'll go see kids' movies, for better or worse. And we saw the, oh, the you love Cars <laughs> too. Some of them I, I get a lot. I, I get a lot out of it sometimes. But I, I was forced to go see Cars too. And there's a scene where Mater, the Larry the Cable Guy character is going to go undercover. So it's it's like the classic thing of the guy. It's like in Carrie, someone coming in and out of a changing room, trying on a lot of different mm-hmm. outfits. He's like, I could go undercover as this or this or this. And he's in all these different outfits, and they're like. That was solely placed in the movies so that they can have four different. Well, we live in a, we toys. live in an era where there are movies based on game shows. I mean, it was a Battleship. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's next? Like Light Bright on the but, IMAX but screen? Even then, that's a known property <laughs> that existed, so you don't have to introduce a new idea. I think right. one of the one of the challenges whenever I talk to people who are like new and they want to get started in like movies or TV, I always say one of the things that you're competing with. You're not just competing with a bunch of people your own age who have new ideas. If you want to go pitch something at Cartoon Network, guess what? They're going to have to have a new Scooby Doo because they want to keep that property alive. You're competing with properties that have existed since the 1930s and 40s. And that the, that the companies that own them, they just need to find ways to keep Looney Tunes going so that you have a whole back catalog that comes with it. 
Oh, that back catalog. That back catalog. That back that's catalog. the enemy. That that stuff that you grew up loving, that's your own worst enemy. Well, nostalgia being the national pathology. It's eating its own But time. um but that that's what we're talking about too. So what do we think about, you know, George Lucas like changing Star Wars movies and this is the version of record now because it's changed and you know, unless you you have the rare laser disc <laughs> version yeah, too. Yeah, it would be nice to be able to get I think I, I mean, think a lot of people see the original bar scene. I mean, isn't that one of the big things like who yeah, shot first? Who shot right? first, of course. Um Oh, man, this is... Uh, I don't think I'm going to bring anything new to the table here. We can talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it, but maybe that's the approach we'll take, is to to what extent does the does the creator owe anything to the audience? And know? I say as long as they're keeping the lights on quite a bit. I mean, I think that's what Stephen King would say, is, you know, you're, you're in business here now. And it depends on what kind of, to what degree you think you are an artist, with, you know, with, right. with a big A or a small A or somewhere in between, with a sans serif A or, <laughs> or in, in italics or what have you. If you're an artist, um, I mean... Well, I think Stephen King, you know, is, is is not that pretentious guy. He's, you know, like you said, he's that blue collar work a day guy. He says, "I write four hours a day, two thousand words a day. That's what pays the rent." Yeah. And you have another guy who I don't know. He's created this empire, but years later wants to go back and tweak with it. But he got rich because of all he, he made you geek out. He turned you into the geek you are today. I don't. Well, a whole other episode. I do not personally self-identify as a geek. I geek out as a verb, but I do not self-identify that way. It's a part of who oh, I am. Oh God, is this part of that whole gen- gender fluidity conversation? <laughs> yes, of which I we don't have to go there. We don't have to go there. So, so you're not even there. trans geek or no, cis geek. It's something I do. I do it for. Uh, <laughs> I do it for a very small paycheck. <laughs> yeah, well, I get a little bit of the door. You get a little um, bit of the door. But let me ask you: There's something like, yeah, is it wrong for George Lucas to change something if his audience, if his fan base doesn't want it? I, I would flip it where you know uh, J.K. Rowling uh, announced after the books were published, after the movies came out, she's like, I, I guess she said in an interview that, oh yeah, Dumbledore's gay. What if people had hated that? I think I think because of the Harry Potter community being, being the way that it is, a lot of them celebrated that and they embraced it and they thought it was fantastic and wonderful. And yet, and yet, what if they hated it? Should she go but, back and, and say, "Oh, I was wrong. He was just going through a phase." And yet, well, she's already cashed that check. And yet, cleverly, Dumbledore sucks not a cock in all seven books. It's <laughs> not going to be in a young adult book. <laughs> well, I've read those books. I, I enjoy. I get, when Dumbledore I, I talks about the magic wand, what do you think he's talking about? Oh, they're all gay. They go to magic school for Christ's <laughs> sakes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean. I don't, I don't know what to say about that. That just later that, that he's gay. I mean, I don't know that. It's, I don't know that it's relevant. Um, she, I mean, it, does not, it hasn't changed any plot points, has it? I don't think it's changed any plot points. But what if you, the people who who paid the checks? What if everyone came out and said, "No, we don't think Dumbledore, Dumbledore should be gay"? Then, well, then what does she do? What does she do in that situation? You know? I don't, it's know, all well, subtext. So I think that's a that's an unusual example as opposed to something like who shoots who first. That that's more of a contentious item that and, and, and is, so Dumbledore is sort of like the man who shot Liberty Valance in that um, <laughs> if, if the myth outsells the man we're going to sell the myth I guess <laughs> the man who shot Here, uh, Voldemort let me ask you a question I, I was talking about this with a, a friend of mine who's a film programmer can you think of anything any movie or pop culture event or or like celebrity wedding that is as anticipated as the new Star Wars. I can't think of anything in my lifetime. Wow, even even I'm excited. I was so burned out by the Star Wars uh, experience. I mean, I loved the first movie. Um, you know, I saw it at the Menlo Park Theater. You know, it, it was, for me, it was definitely... Um, that's very transcendent, you know, experience. It really pushed me on my way to go, wanting to become a filmmaker, and yeah. and it was like, and, and not even a filmmaker. I wanted to make movies. I mean, you know, I mean, movies and big lights and like the biggest possible 
way. I mean, I just remember that first scene. Don't you know? If you recall, Star Wars was one of the first pictures that had like um, you know, Dolby sound and surround sound, and it was presented, you know, with like a level An of experience. quality. Yeah, you know, it's the, a, this it's motion a picture sensation experience. experience. You know, um, I mean, of course, they didn't have the shaking seats of earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have um, the tingler. We, we had the tingler. We can geek out about William Castle someday. Oh, I'd movie love gimmicks. I love movie gimmicks. gimmicks. Like William Castle. Yeah, like, I, I just best. found out recently that uh, that I, I know they gave away barf bags at the Exorcist, but oh. three years earlier there was Spirit. a movie. Mark of the Devil. Mark of the Devil. Mark of the, Mark Devil. Of the Devil did it first. Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember the Mark of the Devil barf bags. It was great. And we're talking about the Tingler, which was the movie where you had to sign the release to watch it. And you parked, oh, yeah. You parked ambulances outside. Yeah, there's a and, nurse and there was a moment if you were too scared to watch the last 30 seconds of this film, you may leave now. Go to the Coward's walk, Corner. You go to the Coward's Corner and walk the chicken line, the yellow <laughs> line, to get your money back. Yeah. If you were too scared to watch the last my 30 favorite, seconds. My favorite Castle gimmick was that, uh, is it Mr. Sardonicus, where the audience gets to decide <laughs> if the villain should be killed or not? <laughs> they only filmed the ending where he gets killed because Castle's like, nobody's going to say he shouldn't get killed. <laughs> um, back to Star Wars for one second. It's like, the great thing was, at the beginning, it was like, the first ship goes overhead, it goes whoosh, and yeah. you know, it's the first time I'm hearing sound coming from behind me, and it's like, wow, that was like really cool. I think I had discovered pot like that afternoon also. Oh, that's probably didn't hurt the experience. Um, but like, wow, I hope they do that again. And they, <laughs> and they do it again. The next one's the giant freighter. It's like, yeah. it's like wow, and just the whole thing. It's like rebels. I mean, it's this rock and roll spirit, and you know. Well, you had said because I, I said, and, and, and it was anti-establishment. Well, I said on social over- media, this is, we can disagree about this. That I said it's the first movie after the Green Berets. It was the first movie to come out of Vietnam. That's a pro-war movie, whether where a young boy goes ah. to war and becomes a man. And then you take the side that it's they're, they're on the side of the rebellion. Yeah, and it is anti-establishment. Yeah. Yes, Darth Vader, Dick Cheney. I mean, we saw that later. It came to pass. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to see it. I'm not going to not see it. I'm not going to go see it. Not yeah. only am I going to go see it, I'm going like, to hold like fake lightsaber battles in front of my house <laughs> on President Street and beat up the neighborhood kids. I, of course I'm going to go see okay. it. I'm going to be there like on day one in the IMAX 3D stoned out of my fucking head. I cannot wait. I mean, I love big movie experiences like that. I love movies, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's probably, I mean, look, I like films, too. You know, I mean, Bicycle Thief. It's a nice film. I'm okay? Gonna, yeah. And then there's Planet of the Apes. Oh, man. We, we, wow. We, 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 I would we gotta, love to. It, it's gotta, shown up in so many other shows, but we've never done a full-on dedicated Planet of the Apes show. Please, can we geek about monkeys and guys? I think it's, 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 it's so much of it. I think there are some people who are like, oh, I couldn't possibly keep up. That it's, <laughs> it's like a soap opera that people think they don't know it. Um, Book it's is, tricky. Planet of the Apes is ripe, though. You know, I'll tell you this, though. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, not as good as a movie as you probably remember it to be. I, when I, to me, see, when I was a kid, first we watched them all on Apes Week, on the, uh-huh. four, on the 430 movie. Of course. And I think I saw Planet of the Apes on, on, at a drive-in, too, on the Plainfield Edison drive-in. So I actually may have, have seen it on the big screen for the first time. But um, Planet of the Apes was shown Monday and Tuesday because on those 430 movies, they had to edit a two-hour movie yeah. into a 90-minute slot minus commercials. So they just, like, oh, the commercials ch- take up So they chopped minutes, so. Right, so Take a two-hour movie and chop it to like 105 minutes, or you know, or, you know yeah. whatever it is, and that's what they would show. So day two, day three was Beneath the Planet of the Apes and Conquest, and maybe Escape, and I don't know some other goddamn monkey madness. But Beneath the Planet of the Apes says is, the best G-rated movie ending of all time. <laughs> well, it is a nuclear uh, um, death cult. Yeah, there, there is that, and it it's does take fantastic. place in the New York City subway. Yeah, and there's that whole reveal our inner selves. But I think if you go back and you watch it, it's 
all those highlights that are so singed in our memory. It's all in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of walking around the subway tunnels. Well, uh, I watched it with my kids. I got the Blu-rays, and they, I couldn't believe this, they were bored by the first two movies. I thought, okay, well, the third one's a light comedy. They'll take that. They didn't take it at all. It wasn't until Caesar shows up. They loved the fourth one. And then they thought the best movie was part five, which is what, universally reviled. Wait, 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 wait the, the one that's like... Looks Battle like, for the Planet of the Apes with the school buses and Seven <laughs> Darden and Paul Williams in the chimp costume. By the fourth yeah. one, I was watching it. It looked like an episode of I Dream of Genie. It was, it was, I mean, that's how poorly produced it was. It was like, it's great, where's though. fucking Major Nelson? Is this going to show up at, at any fucking moment? I you know? think it's my favorite sequel of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, man, there's so many moments. I could, I could talk about Planet of the Apes for, I mean, I, I just, you know, what, you know what, what, it never fails. It's my favorite line in the whole movie. It's not, the, the obviously, the big reveal at the end. Yeah. It's the big one. But it's when Charlton Heston says to Dr. Zayas, would a monkey make a human doll that talks? <laughs> it's like, ah, 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 God damn it, busted. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Dr. Zayas, oh, God damn it. All right, everybody go see Kevin Geeks Out about Stephen King this week. Kevin is uh, the greatest guy in the earth, on the earth, in the earth, uh, from beyond the earth. Um, we've got a lot more to talk about. So, so please, much more. So please come back soon. We haven't even talked about the morality of having sex with female robots. I will definitely come back and we'll talk okay. about that. Okay, Jack, what do you think? Is it cheating? Is that your, Jack, is that your girlfriend I see in the booth there? Ask her, is it cheating if you had sex with a female robot? Let's see. The, the, the jury says... And does it make a difference whether you knew she was a robot before or after? She says no. She says no, that's not cheating. Wow. That's not. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very liberal network we work, <laughs> we work for. All right. We're going to see you guys next week on Arts and Seniors. Looks like I got a very, very special guest coming in. I'm hoping uh, the great Lisa Carver is going to come in and talk about her new book, 25 Lives. That's a real treat. But go see Kevin Geeks out about Stephen King this week, uh, Thursday the 29th. That's the Nighthawk Cinema right here in Williamsburg. Um, Kevin's shows are always fantastic. And don't forget that this is listener-supported radio. If you're listening on your internet machine, see a button that says, give us money, donate, be a member. Give blood, take a bite, one of those goddamn things. Push a button, be a geek, be one of us. Um, it's a lot more pleasant than you could ever imagine. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.